Good evening, good evening, and welcome to Post. Tonight we will have a special edition of the Post Show. Good evening, good evening again, and welcome to Post. Tonight, we have a special edition. Tonight, we're going to discuss mental health and COVID, and we're joined this evening by two special guests. We have Dr. Roselle Jenkins, and we have Tracy Bird. Um, Dr. Jenkins, welcome. We greatly appreciate you coming and being with this evening, and Tracy, it's a pleasure to have you as well. Um, if you wouldn't mind, if you could give us maybe a 30 second um, overview of yourself and greatly appreciate it for the listeners. Do you want to start Tracy or shall I? It doesn't matter. <laughs> I'm Roselle Jenkins, as um, Big Reg just said, I'm a licensed psychologist. I've been practicing now for about 20 years. I'm very passionate about helping people heal their lives. Um, I'm also very passionate about helping people cultivate joy in their lives. I've actually written a book of that title called Cultivating Joy, Sheltering Within During Life Storms. And um, I just want people to live their best, fullest, healthiest lives. Thank and you. Tracy? Yes, I'm Tracy Burton. I have been in healthcare for over 20 years. Um, it's my passion to help bring babies into the world and to help moms cultivate, whether they're a first-time mom or a veteran mom, whether it comes to not knowing what to do regards breastfeeding, um, just taking care of yourself postpartumly. And I get a joy from this. So I see some death sometimes, but we also have to help the mom to get through that grieving process. So just to be that great support that they need whatever aspect that they needed in. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And of course, I'm Big Reg. Um, I'm, we're joined by the usual partners in crime. We've got J3 in the building. We got the professor in the building and, and my man, Ed. So we're going to get right to it. Tonight, we're going to talk about, of course, the subject to show mental health issues, especially how it relates to uh, minority communities. Um, we try to talk a little bit about how minority communities tend to lag behind other communities in addressing mental health and how this whole COVID pandemic has impacted mental health in general and specifically in our different communities and overall well-being. So let's get right to it. Um, Dr. Jenkins, I guess my first question is, mental health seems to be uh, an issue uh, I, I know when I was growing up, especially being a, a black male, you know, talking about mental health was seen to be shown to be, if you're talking about it, you were showing weakness and things of that sort. What, what, what's your overview of how mental health in general is seen um, in general in, in the minority communities? I think there is definitely still a stigma associated with um, talking about mental health and addressing mental health issues. Uh, what I see, what I see for the younger population, like the millennials and those younger, is that they actually talk about mental health more and are you know, more likely to address those issues. But still, when you see, um, I guess maybe like baby boomers and even my generation, sometimes there is still a stigma with addressing mental health issues, thinking that if a person comes to get help, then they're weak or that must mean they're crazy or something like that. And so we still have to overcome that stigma. But I definitely see more people seeking help and I've seen more people seeking help during the pandemic probably than ever before, male and female. Um, I've had quite a, I've had more men come to therapy during the pandemic than before the pandemic. You don't have to raise your hand, J3, go ahead. 
So I just wanted to chime in. Um, one of the reasons why we're actually having this, this conversation is because I realized I, I, I dealt with uh, mental health and it got to the point where uh, my job was stressing me out so bad that I literally had to walk away and, and check myself into a hospital um, because the frustration and, and, and the temperament that I, that I was going through was so much that I realized there was a problem when I started snapping at my wife and that's just something I don't do. And so once I realized that the frustration had built up so badly and that I needed some help, I went and seeked out for it. And I, and I think that's great. And actually people recognizing that they are acting in ways that are not typical for them is usually a good sign. But a lot of people ignore that and they may think that it's something else. They don't usually think, oh, I'm feeling depressed or I'm feeling anxious. Oftentimes people don't even understand that what they're feeling is the result of having some mental health issues. And anxiety, which is the most common mental health disorder that anyone experiences, People experience that in a lot of ways. Like I remember having someone tell me, I don't think I'm anxious. I just feel really stressed all the time. And I said, well, that is anxiety. I think oftentimes people don't seek the help because they don't even recognize that what they're experiencing is something that they need to get help for. Go ahead, Ed. Uh, Dr. Jenkins, again, thanks for showing up and being here tonight. We definitely appreciate you. Um, but So I'm going to back it up just a little bit. Is it, a, is it a reality or is it a myth that minorities um, in the minority community suffer disproportionately when it comes to mental health issues? Um, what's the data suggest? What, what, what have you, what's, the, what's your experience with that? So the data shows that we actually experience mental health issues about the same as, um, I'm, I'm gonna use whites because that's usually like the measurement in terms of any type of data, but we experience mental health issues at about the same or maybe a little bit more than um, our white counterparts. But in terms of treatment, we're less likely to seek treatment, but we experience the same frequency in terms of you know having mental health issues. And then there are some disorders that we might experience at a disproportionate rate in, um, I guess like in the past few years, what the data has shown is that like for depression, uh, African-American teens, black teens have experienced an increase when you compare it to some other groups. And even if you look at something like our suicide rates, like our suicide rates, we are less likely to die by suicide than white people. But if you look at black, at black teens, they're more likely to have more attempts than their white counterparts. Thank you. People discuss mental health, and maybe that should have been the first question I asked you. What, what different? Because you said anxiety is actually a mental could be a mental health issue. What What are some of the other um, symptoms that are mental health issues that we may or may not understand or realize that we should possibly think of as mental health problems? So take, for instance, depression. Um, depression is also very common and depression can be experienced as, you know, not wanting to spend time with people, not having interest in the activities that you used to have an interest in. Um, so J3 mentioned that he was feeling irritable. Men, diff men generally express their depressive symptoms a little differently than women, so they may not have an interest in activities, or they may be very irritable. They, you may not see it as sadness or crying, but if you notice that you're getting angry a lot and you don't really want to spend time around people, that may be a sign of depression. But it can be sadness. It can be feelings of hopelessness. If what people will think is if they feel sad for a day or two, oh, I'm depressed. Sometimes young people will think that. That's not depression. Depression is something that lasts for at least a couple of weeks. The way that we measure it is if you've been experiencing these things for a couple of weeks, then that's usually how we diagnose depression. But everybody gets down every now and then. So if you have like a day or two where you have the blues, that's just that's just normal sadness. But if you notice that you've just been you feel like you're in a rut, you know, you don't want to do the things that you normally did. You feel hopeless. Um, you sometimes can't sleep, you might be eating more, those types of things, those are symptoms of depression. 
Yeah, let me chime in. Um, I think the, the main reason that, you know, we wanted to have this conversation is because of things that were personally going on in our lives and things that we as men probably held in or didn't express as often as we should. As leaders in the community, you know, we, we wear uh, the badge of honor, but we also wear the weight of it as well. And for me, I deal a lot with young people, youth and young adults, and just trying to be that role model, that, that person that they can actually see and pattern themselves after. Sometimes that pressure kind of manifests itself when me as an individual, I'm feeling like I'm not living up to that level in which people have placed me on. So my question is, what are some positive things that we can actually do on a daily basis? Because the brothers know right now, but I'm dealing with a, a cervical neck issue where I have bulging discs and it kind of came out of nowhere. And in physical therapy, he was like, man, your, your shoulders are, are just all tight and knotted up. And I had to kind of think about that, you know, internally. Is this a part of the weight that I'm carrying that brought the onset of this on? Because I really didn't feel like physically I was doing anything out of the ordinary that would have caused, you know, this particular condition to happen. So outside, we always talk about it, exercise, eat well, all that kind of stuff. But when it gets down to it, really down to it, what are some things that we can do in order to keep the stress levels down in everyday life? You mentioned an important thing, exercising, but if you're having a lot of stress, I would say you need to talk to someone. So it might not be a mental health professional, but just making sure that you are not keeping all of that in, that there's someone you're talking to about it, whether it's a good friend, um, it could be your spouse. But one of the things that men more often do is they put all of the burden on one person, like maybe their spouse or their significant other, and you may need to find a larger support group like other people to talk to about like what's happening with you. But there are other things you can do. I suggest meditation like that works in terms of helping you relieve your stress. Um, lots of men are doing yoga now. There are like some really good things out there that men can do that maybe they wouldn't have thought of previously. But now doing those things, especially during this pandemic, like what are the things, some of the things you can do at home? You can do yoga at home. You know, you don't want to go to a yoga studio. You can do meditation at home. But even just writing about like all of those things and unburdening yourself because men have um, typically kept so much inside and that does build up. So even some of the health problems we see, physical health problems we see with men, like what you just talked about, having, having problems with the neck and the shoulders, but more serious problems like heart attack and stroke, that comes from, you know, this accumulation of stress and just not just just not doing anything with it just holding it all in and that's not healthy for anyone what well, talking about stress and jobs uh, uh really um we have tracy on to talk about COVID and everything but also being in the medical field during this pandemic has had to been unbelievably stressful mm -hmm. um going into places where you know, you could possibly be exposed to the virus. Um, I, I personally don't see how you how you do it every day, Tracy, because I know I was scared to death and being getting up and going into hospitals and things of that sort. If you wouldn't mind sharing as much as you want to share, but sure. how did you deal with you know working in the medical field during this crazy times? Sure. Well, first of all, I'd like to thank you guys for inviting me tonight. And it's good that we're on this platform. And also, as we talk about the pandemic, how we're dealing with COVID, it's great to be here also with Dr. Jenkins talking about mental health. And I'll share some of that after I share about the COVID because I get to experience that firsthand health too, because my son was newly diagnosed last year at the beginning of the pandemic. So we're one year in now. So, wow. I God for the um the doctors, the medicine, you know, it's a trial and error thing in the beginning because young black men first first of all, I'll talk about the mental health and then we'll talk about COVID. But me experiencing it with my son, which is twenty six, 
our young black men, first of all, don't want to admit that there's something wrong. So even with my son, he really mm-hmm. didn't think something was wrong. You know, these young kids experimenting with street drugs and things. So I thought maybe, okay, he's on something. What did somebody give him? But he was actually having a breakdown. So mm-hmm. until I asked him, you know, can we go get some help? And we actually went through emergency intervention through the hospitals that we were able to catch it. So wow. That I'm thankful for that. And like I said, and then, you know, like a lot of times our millennials, as Dr. Jenkins was saying, they don't they don't even realize that they're having an issue. So, first of all, for them to not be having an issue or to be having an issue and not be aware of it, it takes a parent that knows their child to say, "Okay, this ain't my child. And then to take them to say, "Okay, can we step out and go get some help? And to figure out where to go from there. But back to the COVID and the pandemic of being able to go to work, it's scary to go to work. It's stressful. But, you know, when you believe in a higher power, you pray. You just pray, God, keep me covered as I go in here and I take care of these people. Yes, we have been exposed to cases, not so much in OB, but coming through the ER or family members. We don't know when the people are coming to visit the patients what they're bringing in to the hospital. So, I mean, it's great now that we can test our patients with the PCR ratios to see, you know, if they have it and we can put them in isolation right away. But even still, I mean, it's hard because just being in a hospital in a medical field, the patients that are in the actual med surge units or in the that are on death's door, it's difficult that their families can't be there to support them at this time makes it difficult. Yeah. um, Being in my my grandmother passed uh, last May, end of April. And that was a tough thing, not being able to go visit her in the hospital and things of that sort. I know that's gotta be a huge issue for families as we, you've got hundreds of thousands of people who have passed and you've got family members who couldn't even be with their loved ones as they pass. Is there um, good techniques, good ways that we could um, use to possibly help identify um, signs, neither ourselves personally or family members, loved ones, and ways that we could possibly broach the subject in a healthy, productive way that may re- get better results than kind of saying we think sometimes people jump on people and they get the adverse effect where you push them away from you if you think they're having a problem? I mean, I think, you know, with everything, the testing, the numbers, of course, you know, signs and symptoms, because you can be asymptomatic and not know that you're carrying a virus. So therefore, I mean, it's a great thing now that we can get the vaccination, which I know there are a lot of people still on the fence about whether they want it or not, because it's still in testing phases. But of course, with anything scientific, we have to test it till we get to the right mechanisms to make it work. So in the meanwhile, I mean, washing your hands, social distance, if you have the vaccine, that's fine, because that helps you to be able to go around your loved ones that you haven't had the chance to go around. And um, I don't know if you were asking like how we could talk to people about mental health issues, but if you see someone having problems and you think that you think that they need some help, I would approach it from a concern place because people will often approach people and they will maybe um, say derogatory things about them. Like, you know, why are you acting crazy or that type of thing? You know, that's the type of thing we say in our community or we just, um, if they are acting a particular way, we might not talk to them or we might withdraw from them. But if really, if you think that they have a problem, just maybe taking them aside and say, hey, I notice you're acting a little differently than you normally act and I'm a little concerned and you can ask if there's anything they want to talk about. 
but you can also suggest just based on what you're hearing, hey, I think you might want to talk to somebody about this. Like this is something that um, you might benefit having a professional talk to you about. And if you had that experience, just sharing that with that person, because a lot of the time, a lot of times when people come to me, it's because someone has told them, hey, I, I saw her or I went to this person or I had this problem and this helped me. So talking to people from that position, like letting them know, like, just like Tracy just talked about her son, just being willing to share that information that, hey, we had this problem in our family and this is how we handled it. I think that can help people get the help that they need if they know someone's been through that and they understand that experience. Yeah, for me, the crossover is real between the two with COVID and with um, mental health. Um, we certainly had a couple of family members that passed away from COVID. And then this coming Saturday, we're going to lay a good friend of mine, college friend, to rest from COVID as well. He passed uh, last Sunday, and 43 years old. That's why I say when people think that it doesn't touch them, I mean, even if it's a distant relative or somebody, this thing is real. So how it's affected me this entire over a year now is that, you know, I, I miss being around my family. You know, now I'm, I feel like I'm overly cautious when I go to the grocery store and stuff like that. So I'm like, how is life really going to be when things kind of open back up and people still milling around? Like I get really upset. No, no offense to you. But when I look at Texas and how things are opening up down there and people are just doing any and everything. And I look at Florida and they doing the same thing. And I'm like, what is really going on with people that they don't understand that this is real and it's causing people who want to abide by the rules to to feel like we're being isolated and then I, I i fear that once things open back up i'm gonna still be walking around with a mask on and not really wanting to get close to people and stuff like that so what could you guys say about that mental aspect of it where people are going to be like overly cautious the holidays are going to come and people are going to be acting kind of strange and people are going to kind of call them on that like how should we approach like re-entering i guess society how, how it was before i think people are definitely going to take a lot of the trauma of this experience with them and the anxiety that has developed. Um, I've seen that with my own child, that he's very anxious about being anywhere, like anytime. Um, he's even sometimes when we get in the car on the way to school, you know, he will put on his mask as soon as we get in the car. And I say, honey, you can at least wait till we get to the school. But, you know, he, he's constantly thinking about that or he's saying, oh, mommy, I don't want you to catch COVID, that type of thing. So I definitely think this has affected a lot of people. And what, what you're saying, Professor Jay, in terms of people getting back to that behavior, it will, it will be um, an adjustment for lots of people. And so just being aware of that, that this is an adjustment period when we start opening up more. Oh, and by the way, yes, Texas has opened up, in my opinion, prematurely. Um, but I, I have noticed that when I've had to go out to the grocery store and other places that people are still, lots of people are still wearing their masks. Not everybody, but I think that it's a good thing, some of the caution in that regard, because it has led people to engage in behavior that is safer than maybe, you know, like the leaders are, are, are recommending. I think people are more conscientious about, okay, I have to think about my safety. And I think definitely in our community, we have to be aware of that. Like we have to do what's best for our community because sometimes the people in charge aren't really thinking about our communities. And we know that this, that this disease disproportionately affects our community. So we have to do what's best for us. Yeah, and just one last thing. I really didn't feel like, you know, I had anything brewing up inside of me. But last week when I got a CT scan, I kind of freaked out because they put me in that tube. I never had one before. And I kind of had to they had to pull me out to kind of I had to center myself again because I'm like, I don't know if that's claustrophobia. I've never been in here before, but I had to think about maybe it's the weight of everything that I'm carrying around that probably came out all at once. And I'm going to tell you, if it wasn't for the blood of Jesus and me just singing gospel in my head while they put me back in, I don't think I could have done it.
But when I explained it to my wife, she was like, you had a panic attack. I was like, I never had anything like that before. So I just, it made me kind of start reflecting on, you know, what's going on these days around me and how I'm actually coping with it. Dr. Jenkins, um, I got a two part or three part question, um, but I've been dying to ask some, I've been, I've been, I've been wanting to know this for a very very long time. Because we're in this, in this situation. Oh. I must have been a delay. Go ahead, J3. Or Ed. <laughs> All right. Can can everybody hear me? Yeah. Ahead, finish it. Okay. So. Um, so I was just going to ask, uh, Doctor Jenkins, what, what what exactly can you? Go ahead, J three. Go go go. <laughs> yeah, it must be a delay on his end. Uh, I was getting ready to say because we're we're in this pandemic. And it's hard to really uh... go ahead. All right, I'm gonna jump in again. Yes. I was saying because we're in this pandemic era, and it's hard to. You can't hear me. We, we can, can hear you. Finish. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We hear you. I was getting ready to say, how can you actually uh, talk to somebody about dealing with mental stress if they don't actually realize it or they're actually um, noticing the signs that they have themselves? What can you say or what is the best avenue to approach somebody um, if you feel as though that they may be going through mental health issues, but they don't recognize it themselves? I would would suggest seeing exactly what you notice in terms of examples. Like if their behavior is different than it was, you know, you can say, hey, I noticed that um, you are checking the doors a lot and you never used to do that. And now um, every night you're checking the doors two and three times. Because again, if a person isn't really paying attention, it seems like to them, it seems like this is their typical behavior. But once you point it out, like exactly what's happening, they say, oh yeah, I am doing that. Because sometimes people just really don't notice what they're doing. You point that out and say, you know, what's going on? Like, why, why are you doing that? And they might say, you know what? I just, I just don't feel very safe. And you can talk to them about why they're feeling that way. And then that might be a way to broach, okay, maybe you need to talk to someone about this because this seems to be something new, like since the pandemic that you started feeling like unsafe or you started feeling like, you know, I can't be around people because I've heard people say, I feel uncomfortable now when I do have to be around people because I'm not used to it. Like I don't, I haven't been around people in so long. So now they feel very nervous at the thought of having to be around people. And some people are having to go back to work now and they feel uncomfortable with that because they haven't been around people for so long. So when when you're hearing people say those things and they're they're voicing that, you know, you can just say to them, well, this is different than what I know to be true about you. So this might be a good opportunity for you to talk to someone about it to help you get over this. On you, Ed. Okay, thank you. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, Dr. Jenkins, you mentioned um, some holistic or lifestyle um, things that we could do as far as uh, dealing with mental health issues. Um, so my question is, number one, um, can mental illness be cured, or is it, a, or is it a situation where, um, like, like maybe if you're an alcoholic that it'll always be there and you just have to deal with it. Um, and, and also because we're such a, it seems like we're such a rush in this country to, to medicate, um, how safe are the medicines out? And is it a lifetime commitment if you have to go on this, these medicines? Okay. I'm going to try to remember everything you asked me. I'll ask again. (laughs) (laughs) Just remind me. Okay. Okay, so um, it really depends on what the mental illness is. So there are a lot of things that can be called mental illness. So 
anxiety disorder can fall under mental illness, but anxiety disorder is the most treatable mental disorder there is out there. So a person can have an anxiety disorder and you know they can get it treated, they can get over their anxiety. Now, what's, what's interesting is while it's the most treatable disorder, it is the one that people are least likely to seek treatment for. Like, you know, people will just suffer with anxiety or not even recognize that that's really something they need to seek treatment for, but it is the most treatable thing. And I tell people that all the time when they come to see me, they're like, I think I'm, I'm gonna feel this way all the time. No, you're not. Like there are some strategies that can help you get over this. You don't have to have that feeling of pins and needles inside of you all the time because it's a, you know, it, it feels physically, um, it can feel physically painful when a person is really very anxious. And oftentimes that will lead to other things. Like I was talking about how men deal with um, depression and even with anxiety, I, I was saying that it shows up differently, but the way that they deal with it often is alcohol or using drugs or that type of thing, because they're feeling these things. And then they're like, like, let me turn to these things instead of like, let me find some better holistic ways as you just mentioned. Um, you also asked, well, oh, wait, I want to go back to like the ones that you have to live with for the rest of your life. So, so something like schizophrenia, bipolar, those are not things that go away. Um, those are disorders that you are going to have all your life and, um, you will need medication for those things. You know, are they manageable? Yes. Can you, can you still live your life? There are people out there that function and walk around with bipolar disorder and schizophrenia. People have a lot of misperceptions about both of those disorders and they think, oh, you know, that person, they, they can't function well, but no, people, people do function. You know, they may have periods where they don't function as well, but people can function and live their lives and all of that. But will they need medication? Yes. People with bipolar disorder, commonly think they don't need medication. Yes, you, you need medication because of the chemical imbalance. You have to have medication to treat it. Depression, it, it just depends. It depends on your level of depression. When people first come to me, I'll say, let's try some strategies to manage the behavior. Because a lot of times it's just a matter of like what's, like what's going on in their lives, what's the situation, what are the things they're thinking about it. And we can use the approach I use, which is cognitive behavioral therapy to treat depression, anxiety, a lot of other disorders. But I usually try that route before I suggest any type of medication. Sometimes people are have been so depressed for so long that they can't even do the things that I'm asking them to do. If they're that depressed, then I usually suggest medication because you can't even follow what I'm telling you to do because you're so depressed. So when that's the case, you need something to get the right chemicals in your brain. So there are particular chemicals that help us feel good. And that's what the medication helps with. Do people always need to be on that? Nope. There are people that are on it for a certain period of time and they get off of it, particularly for depression and anxiety. I don't usually recommend medication for anxiety, even though some people need it. Um, and if they need it, you know, you, you take what you need. I just think there are things that we can do before we get to that point. Now, again, some people are just so very anxious. They're like, I have to have something to help me with this. And I understand that. Cause like I said, it can be physically painful, but I usually try to get people to, you know, just work with me for a while before we start any type of anxiety medication. Cause anxiety medication can be habit forming, you know? And so I try not to recommend that for people. Um, you asked another question, I think. That, uh, did I answer them all? Um, you, you did. Um, but the reason, the, the, the place where that question came from is, I think a lot of times within our community, um, you know, we see people, we think of, me we automatically think of medicine and and like a zombie, like you, you're know, like in a trance. And it's like, it, that's that contributes to the stigma. And right. yeah, and I think that, um, you know, I was curious, really, really, I'm glad you answered it. Thank you. I, I was curious um, if the drugs can be take can be removed from from mm -hmm. mental, mental health or mental illness. But you explained that it's such a wide subject. It's just not depression. It's just not anxiety. It could be multiple things within the, um, the field of uh, mental health. So thank you for that. And it's not a one size fits all approach. You know, people like let's take something that is that is like attention deficit disorder. Some kids won't need medication for attention deficit disorder and some kids will. Like I will tell a parent, if your child is having such trouble in school, 
that they can't they can't learn. They're constantly getting into trouble. And people say, well, I don't want them on medication. Well, they have more problems off of medication than on medication because they're not going to do well in school. They're not going to have good peer relationships. And so you have to weigh that, you know, like, okay, do I try this? Because even with something like that, like a, a medication for attention deficit, that's not something a kid has to take all the time. A, ch a parent could give it to the child, not they not take it on the weekends, they not take it on, uh, they don't have to take it during school breaks. You can just take the medication when the child is in school. But again, it really depends on that child. Some kids can manage it without, I think my child has a little attention deficit, but he's able to function in school. At home, he's a hellion. But I don't think, <laughs> how are you making it in school? How are you able to make it in school? Cool, cool. We have a couple of questions from uh, a couple of our listeners. Um, I think one is great. It touches on a point you touched on earlier about teenagers, especially um, our teenagers um, uh, uh, in our community attempting suicide more. One of our listeners is a, a, a former teacher and she dealt with some students or hearing about students who unfortunately committed suicide. And her question was, um, what can parents look out for and even possibly teachers as we go back to schools to help teenagers possibly who are dealing with these mental health issues and thinking about suicide? And once you answer that, I'll answer the second question because the second question will lead us into COVID. Okay. Some of the same things I mentioned before in terms of behavior change, so especially with teenagers, so it can be really hard with teenagers because teenagers tend to isolate a lot anyway, like they might stay in their room a lot, but definitely if you see a teenager that was engaging and now they're no longer engaging, like, you know, they seem to keep to themselves all the time, they may be like a little mysterious or secretive, um, I tell parents to look for cutting behavior. So if you, like, you know, it's hot and you see a teenager like wearing long, if you see, if it's, if um, it's hot and they're always wearing like long sleeves, you know, check their arms, that type of thing. Cause parents don't typically tend to think that, but if it's 80 degrees and your, your child is always covered up, I would say check to make sure that they're cutting. Now, just because a child is cutting doesn't necessarily mean they want to take their lives, but because teenagers are impulsive, Cutting can lead to lead to death, you know, like they could do something that ends up very fatal. So just looking for things that are different than what you normally see, like for boys, if they're like angry and sullen a lot, you know, I would just talk to them. That's the thing that people don't realize. Just simply asking the question, are you thinking about hurting yourself? Goes a long way in helping to prevent suicide because it's, they know that they're, that they're being noticed, that you're paying attention. And they often will tell you, like they'll often just answer the question. Like I always ask that question, of course, in my profession and people will say, well, yeah, I've thought about it. Okay, you thought about it, would you act on it? Because that's the next question. If they say, I've thought about it, like do you, what, is that something you think you would act on? So just simply asking the question, if you have any suspicions, instead of not talking about it, really just being very direct and asking upfront. Appreciate that. Mm -hmm. Then one of our other listeners, uh, uh, BJ, who's actually read your book, has a question about, you, you mentioned cultivating joy. Um, and he says in chapter three, you talk about maintaining joy in the face of devastation. Um, can you share some thoughts on how one may keep their joy after they uh, may have experienced challenges through this past year through the COVID devastation, loss of family members, isolation, things of that sort? So a lot has happened in this past year. We've had COVID, we've had like the social unrest, we had George Floyd and so many other things. And it's, it's been really hard for our people, for people in general to, to maintain joy. And what I, what I tell people, what I have said to myself is like, this is like a really important time for us to maintain joy because there are so many things that are happening but just really connecting to those things that um, give you strength. Because when I talk about joy, even in my book, like it's really an, an inner thing. It's not just 
the things that you do externally, but knowing that you have the re have the resilience and wherewithal to make it, like the like you know your connection to your high, higher power, those things. Knowing what you have, what are the things that keep you going? But if you're like, I'm not at that place, because some people are like, I'm just not there. Then I say, start with small things. Like, what are the things that really bring me joy? Like, just taking time to think about that. Like, it might be, oh, talking to an old friend. It might be listening to a song. Like, I remember during the pandemic, I had a day where I just, this was probably early on in the pandemic. Like, you know, we weren't going anywhere. And I just did not feel like getting up. And I'm a person who gets up early. Like I get up ready to go. Like I'm excited. And I was just like another day of like virtual learning. And I was just like, I don't feel like it. I was like, I, I just really just like, I was like, I don't feel like doing any of this. I was not in a good place. I was not in a good mood. I was like, I just want to stay in bed, cover my head. I don't want to hear anybody's problems today. Like I felt like all of that. And um, I, so for me, it's always music. Like I put on some song, it was just by accident too. I was just like, you know, scrolling through my music and this song came on that was like really upbeat. And I just started dancing because that's like the thing for me. Like I, I dance and I forget about everything else. And I felt good. Like I like, it got me out of that funk. And so you, there are things for all of us that do that and just remembering what that is for us in those moments where you're like, you know, you can't think about like, okay, so what are the things that, are my strengths and all of that. If you're not in that place, like just think about something in that moment that it could be baking, you know, it could be like going outside, working in your garden, but connecting to those things in that moment will help you get back to that place um, where you feel some joy because we all need that. Like with all of these things that are happening, we can't forget like all of the little things that, you know, make life worthwhile. Thank you, thank you. Speaking of COVID, uh, Tracy, I'd like to bring you back in on this. Um, I, I know in the healthcare field, uh, I don't know if it was required to continue to be there, but um, we're, you've got a lot of people dealing with the personal or family decision on what they should and shouldn't do about vaccines. Um, should they get them? Shouldn't they get them? From the health care profession point of view what what are your thoughts about um the vaccine you mentioned it a little earlier about they're going to get better as things go on but just in general about people um dealing with that question about the vaccines i mean i know everyone is hesitant when it comes to getting the vaccination because they just feel like we're being guinea pigs at this point but um, I think it's your own personal decision whether you decide that you want to get it or not. And being in the health field, unlike the flu vaccination where we're mandated to get it, the COVID vaccination, it was by choice. I mean, they did offer it to us. Yes, me for one. I decided, yes, I did get it because I want to be around my family and I don't want to, especially my older generation, I don't want to expose them to anything or you know, make them ill. So I'm protecting them as well as protecting myself. So, I mean, in, in, in any day, I try to encourage most of my family, most of my friends to, if you're not sure about what's going on, read up on it, educate yourself, make your decision. So a lot of people want to wait and see how everybody else does with it first before they decide they want to step out there. Well, I mean, at this point, we've got 100 million people have had shots. So I'm not sure how much waiting people are looking for. But that's another question. Did you have anything you want you, you would like to add on to that decision making process that people I, are going through, Dr. I, Jenkins? Go ahead, Dr. Jenkins. No, you can go ahead, Tracy. You were getting ready to say people something. People are scared, like, what's going to happen to them or what's going to be the adverse reactions. Me, myself, too, said, okay, what's going to happen? Am I going to get 10 eyes, eight legs, you know? So, but it's just something in general. But, I mean, with the first dose, I didn't have any adverse reactions or anything. It was just the arm being sore at the site. And the second dose, I did experience, like, some normal chills. But you experienced that with the normal flu shot. So, I mean, have at it. Hey, Tracy, I, I think that um, 
so I was deemed an uh, 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 essential employee. Don't ask me why, but uh, <laughs> I, I was deemed an essential employee. Okay. Um, but um, I was wondering, was it because I think that the issue is that a lot of people, as far as who I work around and who I come into contact with, uh, particularly in our community, because uh, you know how we are, we like, nah, we, let's see how they react first and then we'll jump in afterwards. Exactly. Um, but I think that the, the, the word I was getting unofficial was that the, the speed that this COVID vaccine came about is what had a lot of people uh, apprehensive of it. Mm -hmm. um, because you take, um, for instance, uh, HIV, it's been around for decades now, and I have yet to hear about a legitimate vaccination to prevent it. Um, and there's other diseases that, um, that are out there that, you know, that are there, that are here, uh, but we don't have vaccinations for them. So I think that the, 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 the uncertainty involved, um, far outweighs, um, the benefits, the potential benefits for a lot of people. Um, did, I mean, did you guys have, did, did, did your workmates or did your coworkers have, did y'all have discussions or did your bosses come to you and say, hey, you know, this is the data, this is what's going on. You know, it, it's up, it's a personal choice for you. Did you experience any of that? And we did experience that. And then, I mean, just following the news for my own, you know, following what's going on in the news, following the CDC recommendations is what led me to go for myself. And like I said, we weren't forced to. Um, and then, like you say, with speculation, everybody wants to see, okay, well, let's see what's going to happen in the next three months. How is everybody going to be doing that's already had the vaccination? Are they going to be still here to talk about it and things like that? So that's what Rachel has a lot of people on the fence. And so um, I got the vaccination and at my healthcare clinic they recommended that we get the vaccination but it was not mandatory they just told us where we we could get it now like tracy i did a lot of the research for, for, for myself and i listened to how the vaccine was developed so i know that the idea that it developed very quickly was the thing that made a lot of people apprehensive and initially that made me apprehensive and then after i did more research on it i realized that really the time that it took to develop this vaccine really was about the same time as other vaccines. It's just the difference is, is that they had the funding to do the testing, to do the um, phase, the, the trials that they don't normally have because they really wanted to get this vaccine out. And so normally the thing that holds it up is the companies don't have the money. But this time, you know, the government actually gave them the money to do what they needed to do. And the other thing that I learned is that they have been working on a vaccine because it's not like SARS is something that's new. It's been around in different forms. So they have been working on a vaccine. So that made me feel more comfortable. And as Tracy said, I too wanted to feel more comfortable. I was able to go visit my mom this past weekend that I had not seen since November, 2019. She was fully vaccinated and I was fully vaccinated. So for me, it was really just a no brainer. Like I just want to be, I want to do everything I can to do my part and keep the people around me healthy. J3, did you have? I have to concur with you on that because, yeah, I was gonna say I had to concur with that because I, I got the vaccination as well. I got both shots and uh, come Saturday, it'd be a month that I've had both shots and I'm still here. I mean, so I want to be a prime example for everybody else who, who has any reservations about getting it. You got to set the example. You got to be who you are. And so that's where I am. And one of the things I've noticed in talking to people, like some of um, the people I see, is there is a lot of disinformation out there about the vaccine. And I don't know if that's intentional. Like, I don't know where people are getting this information. Like I had one of my patients tell me, oh, I heard the vaccine gives cancer. I'm like, where'd you get that? So there's just like a lot of information out there that's just not true. And so people really have to listen to reliable sources and not just go on hearsay. You know, best thing is to read for yourself and not just listen to some of the things that people are saying that don't even really make logical sense. You mean we can't rely on all the Facebook posts that just come out of nowhere? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> can't can't rely on Instagram from, from your buddy or 
somebody triple G something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, in this country and probably around the world, the lack of quality information is being used, I think, as a weapon for some people. But that's a whole nother mm -hmm. show. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so I have one question when Big Reg is go ahead, Tracy. Now, back to the mental health. Um, me speaking on my son's behalf again, because he's diagnosed with bipolar. Um, what is it? Bipolar with psychosis. So that's a medication mm -hmm. one that he's. I guess we had to teach him that being that medication was like me having to put on my glasses every day, because mm -hmm. I think in the beginning stages he did have a relapse because he didn't feel like he needed the meds. Mm -hmm. So it just made him have another episode that was far worse than the first one. But now I think he's at a point now that he un has a better understanding of it. Now, in those cases, can the medicine be titrated down? Sometimes. Okay. So it, it really depends because um, with bipolar, it just, it people's body changes. And so sometimes they might need a different medication. Sometimes medication might stop working or maybe something like the dosage might be too high just based on like, how their body is changing over the years. So that changes. And the problem I think for lots of people who are bipolar is because they go through different medications and sometimes the medication will work and then it'll stop working. And then they get a little fatigued with that and they won't want to take their medication as a result. Okay. Yeah, because I in the beginning stage before I was educated, I was like, Edward, I don't want my son walking around like a zombie, but I want him to be well and be functional. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you, you said that, Tracy, because that reminded me of Edward's question. You asked about walking around like a zombie. Most medications shouldn't make you feel like that, feel like a zombie. And if that's the case, then it's probably not the right medication. So people have those, um, they, they have that side effect to a medication where they see someone like that and they say, oh, I don't want to take medication. But if you're on the right dosage of medication, that really should not be the effect of the medication. Most people even with people who have depression and they're taking an antidepressant, they still feel it's not like the medication keeps them from feeling anything if they're on the right dosage of medication. Yeah, because in the beginning, because I guess until they got the right for the body weight or whatever, they slept a lot. But then at the same time, the doctors was like, because he had that manic depressive state when he got diagnosed, that that was letting the body heal itself. So you have to sleep it off and you know, let your body mechanics do what it has to do. Right. And the other thing is people have to give themselves time, their body's time to get used to the medication. So many depression medications take like 10 to 14 days to get in your system. There are some now that will start working a little bit more quickly, but for that type of medication, it takes a little while. So people will maybe take it for a few days and they'll say, oh, it makes me feel funny. And they won't give their body time to adjust and they'll think it doesn't work. But you just have to know like, how long a particular medication takes to work and ask your doctor all the right questions before you just give up and say, oh, this medication isn't working at all. Mm -hmm. Professor Jay, I think you had a question. Yeah, I was just gonna say the thing that I find to be most disturbing is the judgment and the over uh, politicization, I hate that word, politicized, there we go. Um, <laughs> of the vaccine and my case in point is and this is where we make the sports connection lebron james has been criticized because he wants it to be a private matter whether he gets the COVID vaccine or not and he said as much and you had you know famous pundits people from all over criticizing him for that decision but my stance is he's very well within his right to state that it's a private choice that he'll decide along with his family, just like any other medical care. And I get, you know, what we've been through as a community and all of that. But like you all say, you have to do your own research. You have to hold your own hand. You have to make sure you're listening to the right people and make an informed decision. And whether you get it or not, it is a personal choice. But I feel like all these people that are grandstanding saying, see, I'm getting it and all that kind of stuff. They're missing the point of what people think about these types of things. 
So from my standpoint, it's disrespectful to just sweep people's feelings under the rug just because it may be a religious thing. It might be a historical thing because of the, the syphilis and the Tuskegee experiments. So it's like, who are we to judge folks whether they choose to get it or not? We understand we want to be safe, but check this out. There are people that don't get the flu vaccines. There are people don't, that don't get the uh, measles and chicken pox and all of that for various reasons. We don't ostracize them. So why do it to people who make that choice for themselves? And I just got mine today. But that was a personal choice based off of my own research. You know, me wanting to protect my family and then me just feeling like I want to be a part of the solution to what's killing so many people. And that's affected my family. But that's personal. But I would never ostracize or, or go against somebody who say, you know what? That's not for me. And I think that adds a little bit to the anxiety and how people feel about the COVID vaccine as well. I think um, doing shows like this and talking openly about the subjects are helpful. Um, as far as the vaccine, um, each of you have all said it in different ways, but the same thing. A lot of times that decision is about not only protecting you, but more often protecting your family members and others that you don't want to bring anything home to them and feel that weight and responsibility that you may have hurt one of your loved ones. So um, I think it's good for people to talk about it as their family group. And if you feel comfortable talking about it with your extended family and doing your research and making a formed decision. Uh, I know me and my family have talked about it multiple times and my uh my daughter who's my pride and joy she was lucky enough she's get she's got an appointment next uh saturday up in new york where she sometimes resides <laughs> <laughs> she's been home since covid most of the time so she's getting her first vaccination and my wife and i are going to do that so again it, you got to make the decision for yourself and and do what's best that you think is best for you and your family and move on from there. We do have another question for you, Dr. Jenkins. Uh, BJ is really, really has some deep questions about your book. I'm gonna have to buy your book and get into it. He's, uh, he, he, he says <laughs> you have a, a about removing obstacles. Uh, can you share and elaborate on where you say in the book, most likely you are your biggest obstacle? So that's really about um, what people think. So. I can just think about like, in fact, I just had a conversation with a patient about this um, yesterday, as a matter of fact. So people sometimes will set goals for themselves or they may not set goals for themselves because of things that they're thinking. So we'll have thoughts like, well, you know, this is not going to work out if I do this. And that's what I mean about us being our biggest obstacle, because it's really all the things that we think like we have like self-defeating thoughts. And if we change the way that we think about many things, whether it's, it, it can be about working with people like, oh, you know, I can never work with these people. And usually it's something about us. And if we, again, just take a look at that, like what's the thing that we're thinking? Like sometimes we get into this way of thinking, well, if I apply for this job, you know, like I won't get it or um, what's the point in doing this because it won't work out. Just all of these things that we think, we think like all these negative things might happen instead of thinking if there is an obstacle, how can I get around it? Like we usually overestimate like what bad thing might happen and then we underestimate our ability to deal with it. So that's what I mean about us being our big obstacle and just removing like the, the negative thoughts that get in our way. Great point. Dr. Jenkins, Great point. would you link that would you link that to emotional intelligence? Yes, I, I certainly would link it to emotional intelligence, especially in terms of how we let other people impact us. Like that has a lot to do with emotional intelligence. Any last questions from, from the group before we ask Tracy and Dr. Jenkins for their last, last statements? All righty. I guess all hearts and minds are clear. <laughs> I, I love that statement. I love that statement. All right, Miss Tracy, in, yes. any cl closing thoughts? No, I mean, like I said, you know, we've all touched on 
the things that as long as we're doing our part, you make your own informed decision. And like like Professor Jay says, you know, you don't ridicule anybody for their choices. It's, it's their personal choice. But me, you know, I just want to be a part of the solution and continue to help in ways that I can help. Thank you. Thank you. Dr. Jenkins? Well, I want to thank you all for having me on the show and for talking about this. It's a really important topic for everyone, but especially for our community. And just know the help is out there. If you are feeling like you're dealing with something that is overwhelming, that there is help, you know, and it, the only stigma is the stigma that you put on it. We get help for everything else. Get help if you're having um, mental health or emotional health difficulties because you would go to the doctor if you had a physical health problem. At least I hope you would. Sometimes men don't do that either. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> yeah, so definitely get the help if you need it. And as I, I'm actually going to show my book, you know, shameless plug. This is my book, um, Cultivating Joy sheltering within during life storms. But the first one of the first things I say in there is that joy is your birthright. And I definitely believe that like we are meant to be in a place of joy. And, um, you know, I got a lot of great strategies in there, but check it out. Oh, and it, you can get it on my website, www.drrosell.com. Okay. Cool, cool. Well, I, I want to be the first to thank you, ladies, for A, taking the time to come on our show and to sharing, uh, Tracy, uh, some stories that I'm sure you don't know, normally share with people. I really appreciate that. It was a godsend. That. It was a godsend that it is Women's Month, it's mental health and COVID, and it's, it's all looped in one. So thank you. And Dr. Jenkins for, for giving us some uh, tools. Uh, I look forward to reading your book and really digging into that because absolutely. Uh, I, I learned dealing with the loss of my mom and going through that transition and all that, that uh, we get too bogged down into everything else. And if you're not enjoying life, you look up and life is gone and what's there for you. So thank you both, thank you both. Um, it's time for our, our final thoughts as a group. Uh, J3, do you have, what, what's your final thoughts, partner? First, I wanna thank the ladies again for being on our show, I appreciate it. I also wanna say that thank you all for allowing me to, to have this discussion about mental health and utilizing my experience as a as a as an example of how mental health can it can take a hold of you but if you allow the right treatment to to better yourself you can come out of it and deal with it a lot better so i just want to say thank you, thank you. professor jay again i'll extend you know our thanks to both of you for an awesome session really uh open my eyes to a lot of things that you know not just as a man but as a, a contributing member of society of the things that we need to do to make sure that we're supportive of one another and speaking of that support i implore all of you that are watching and listening please support your local principalities and your churches because we're all doing wonderful things during this pandemic to make sure that people not only get the vaccine, but they get food and other resources that they need. So please do not forget about your neighbor. Love thy neighbor. Thank you guys so much for being here. You up, Ed? Well, again, I wanna thank you, Tracy, and definitely thank you, Dr. Jenkins, uh, for giving us three things that I value really uh, that you can't place a premium on is your time and you shared inf plenty of information with us and then you also was honest honest and forthright with with uh, whatever you everything that you offered us tonight so thank you and um, you know be safe out there thank you yeah. and I'd just like to say from the Post family uh, I, I know that we are the positional sports talk show but when we see important topics and things, we let, we see ourselves as part of a greater community. And if there are issues out there that we feel are strong issues that we need to address, 
we would do continue to try to do special shows like this to talk about those. So we may not be talking sports, but we want to do and provide information out for the community to do our part to be good citizens in this world. And as the professor said, look look out for thy neighbor, love thy neighbor, and try to do the best we can do. Again, ladies, thank you so much. This has been a wonderful, wonderful way to close out our Women's Month to have you two ladies in. Uh, really appreciate it. Uh, we'd like to thank all our listeners for tuning in. Thank you for the great questions that you sent in. Um, we will do this again. We will definitely do this again because this is a subject we need to keep touching base on uh, as we reintegrate into what the new reality will be. I'm sure that we will definitely need to discuss this. So doc, Dr. Jenkins, um, we may ask for your time again. We look out, reach out. And Tracy, yes. we would definitely reach out to you. And I can't wait to July. Can't yes. wait to July. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I would be yes. the one pandemic wedding, right? <laughs> <laughs> Well, we still going to have a good time and hopefully most of us will be vaccinated by then so we're going to go down and have and a good not, time cuz we're going to we're going to Clearwater and that's Florida I will still have my mask on it will just be a little <laughs> <laughs> <I know> that's <laughs> right <laughs> well again thank you everybody we appreciate you tuning in and listening um, we will be back Tuesday at our regular date and time, 7 p.m. We're going to talk NCAA tourney. We're going to talk NBA basketball and get back to sports. But if you think there's a topic out there that we should touch on, shoot us a message. We g gladly do some research. And if it's something we think we can talk about from a knowledgeable position, we will do that. And again, ladies, thank you again. We greatly appreciate your time. Thank you. Everybody, this has been Post. Y'all have a wonderful evening. We'll see you Tuesday, 7 p.m. Good night. Good night. See ya. <laughs> <laughs>